Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. Today's conversation is with Chris Morris. Chris is a relationship manager and entrepreneur. His previous career roles have been with NHS Trusts and Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs in the UK. This was before setting up a new life in Singapore, where he initially supported his wife's career before finding a role in change management and then as an independent consultant. Now he splits his time between being a regional relationship manager and his real passion as an entrepreneur with his restaurant, The Limehouse, in the heart of Singapore. I took on the lease for, for Limehouse. I didn't have a chef. Oh. <laughs> so I actually took on the lease because a lot of people think I'm a restaurant and I'm not. I don't cook at all. Uh, my wife is a very good cook, not me. I like to entertain. Um, so I see very much myself as a founder anyway. So I took the lease on and I thought, oh shit, you know, we've got to find a, need to find a chef some, somewhere. So I actually got on a plane, flew to London. On the way to London, I, I Googled top Caribbean chefs in the UK. I landed, I interviewed three of them. Two of them thought I was this crazy Caribbean guy from Singapore and didn't want to engage. During our conversation, Chris reveals the motivations behind his founding of the Limehouse, difficulties, career changes, family, and his positive, purposeful attitude he creates for the future. So now, without further delay, let's begin. I'm with Chris. Hello. Hi, nice to meet you. Chris, can you just introduce yourself? I'm Chris Morris. I am the founder of Limehouse, the only Caribbean establishment in Singapore. I've also lived in Singapore for the last um, 10 years. I'm a permanent resident here, and so Singapore is very much my home. And um, I brought my three kids up here as, as well. I consider myself as a cultural entrepreneur because I'm very passionate about the Caribbean and bringing, bringing our culture to Asia. You've been in Singapore for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Can you just give me your background? I originally came here um, in 2008 um, as a trailing spouse. So my wife had a secondment with her job. Uh, my background was in uh, management consulting and I came here and we, after a couple of months, we really liked it. We actually had a massive row about it because she wanted to go back home. And then I said, well, no, let's stay. Give me a, a month, see if I can find something to do. A month later, I got a job with her company to set up a business transformation practice with her company. So I worked as a consultant for about five or six years of my time in Singapore before deciding to make a life change, um, become an entrepreneur and establish Limehouse as one of the businesses that I'm involved in. For me, the whole idea of Limehouse was because I grew up in the Caribbean. I'm very passionate about my experience growing up in the Caribbean. I had a young family. The Caribbean was very far away. Um, 
And one of the ideas of setting up Limehouse was to be able to create a cultural footprint here in Asia for the Caribbean culture, not only for my children, but also for the broader diaspora here. I also thought that it was very interesting and felt passionate about creating something that was an aspirational Caribbean experience. Because during my time in London, when I looked around, you know, a lot of the, the, the representations of the Caribbean were quite um, stereotypical in terms of what they were. And like I always told people, I, I never lived, I, I didn't grow up in a shack, so I didn't know what one looked like. So I saw a real opportunity to create, because there wasn't that baggage and legacy of the, say, the black British experience, Singapore and Asia was a clean slate. So it was an opportunity to create something new and a, really an aspirational view of the Caribbean. So Limehouse, for me, is, is about creating that alternative view, just saying, you know, that not all people in the Caribbean live in shacks. Uh, we can create something that is a, is a nice and superior experience. So whether it's from the food and how we present the food to the ambiance and the general space that we have, we have a lovely shop house here. It's all about creating a, a very nice kind of high level experience. So I'm looking at the, um, the restaurant. It's a lot larger than I thought it would be. Yes. It's called the Limehouse. Sure. I was actually expecting a bar. Yes. But what I'm seeing, you've got two floors. We actually have, um, in the whole space, we have three floors. So we have the main restaurant on level one. We have our second floor bar on level two. And in level three, we actually also have an event space where we host functions and so on. The idea behind Limehouse um, is that where I'm from, Trinidad and Tobago, um, liming means hanging out with friends. So I wanted to create a space that was basically an extension of your living room. So if you want to come and eat, you can come and eat. If you want to come and hang out and have a drink, you can come to level two, hang out, bring your friends, have a drink. If you want to host a function, whether it's a birthday, a corporate event, and so on, we can host you. So any kind of lime, effectively, you want to have, we can do it right here with you. So lime, so lime means hanging out? Yes, yes. Means yes. Hang, oh, so yes. we're going to language lesson here. Yeah, so liming <laughs> basically means hanging out with friends. And it's a very interesting question people often ask about, where that comes from. Um, the, the original view I know is that, in, especially in Trinidad, there were lots of lime trees. So during hot days, people would kind of congregate on the lime tree, have a drink, catch up and so on. So that's where the whole liming thing comes from. Oh, that's good. Mm. I looked at the bar. Mm. You seem to specialize in a certain mm. drink. Yes, Can you just yes. tell us something about well, that? Well, yeah. So rum is one of the drivers for the experience as well, in terms of the aspirational view, was Rum. So rum is is the is the basis of you know, is a true Caribbean drink. It's one of those fantastic things that exists in the Caribbean. The oldest rum in the world actually comes from Barbados. It was first um, developed in 1703, so it has a long legacy and a history. The great thing and why I'm very passionate about rums is that each Caribbean island has two or three rums in each island. So you can make an analogy between rum and say how people look at craft beer. So if you think about rum, it's, the, it's one of the best ways to understand and experience the Caribbean because each island will have their own rums with their own unique patterns, with their own unique stories behind each rum and so on. So again, by having a, a wide rum collection here, we have the largest rum collection in Singapore. Currently, we have about 168 rums. The idea was also that it would be a, a good way of showcasing the complete Caribbean experience. So you have 168 rums. Are mm. you looking to add to any more? Uh, yes. So we often do. We find out about rums or different people that will approach us. And um, so it goes up and down. Sometimes we have 170, sometimes less. But 
that's our mean, but we're always open to having additional rums to add to our portfolio. Can you okay. just tell me something about your background? I grew up in the Caribbean. At the age of 12, 13, I moved to London. Um, I spent a lot of my time in London and then moved to Singapore. My background was in, in consulting, so I came from a very much of a corporate scenario. But I got to a stage in my life where I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. I, I always felt like I was an entrepreneur, but never really took those bold steps to, to make the change. What kind of work did you do? Okay, so I used to do a lot of work I did was around, um, firstly was in IT, and then I moved from IT to running quite large business programs or change programs, predominantly in the public sector. A lot of the work I did with that was around organizational culture. So for example, how you transform a culture in a government agency, that's the typical work that I did. So that became my specialism. Then when I moved to Singapore, I also did a lot of work here with government agencies as well in terms of how to use communication and change to really uplift and, and drive different cultures and behaviors in, in an organization. So that's very much my, my kind of background. And that's why I say that I'm a cultural entrepreneur because culture is my, my passion. A lot of people ask me about why Limehouse. I said actually Limehouse started off interestingly as me having a a moment in my life where I wanted to do something different. I wanted to pivot. And I actually went through a process where I had a mentor and went through a stage of conversations. And what was distilled from that conversation was, Chris, culture is your passion. You should do something with culture. Then the question was, what could that actually be? So it was almost like a mini kind of consulting project. I had no idea that I wanted to do a restaurant. Then a key question came up was like, okay, culture is a good thing. You're very passionate about your background in the Caribbean. What's the best way that Caribbean culture could be manifested in Singapore? We looked around and thought, well, actually, you know, what's the best way that culture is manifested in, in Singapore? Through food. So this is how the whole idea came about, saying that in actuality, I took on the lease for, for Limehouse. I didn't have a chef. Oh. <laughs> so I actually took on the lease because a lot of people think I'm a restaurateur and I'm not. I don't cook at all. Uh, my wife is a very good cook, not me. I like to entertain. Um, so I see very much myself as a founder anyway. So I took the lease on and I thought, oh shit, you know, we've got to find a, need to find a chef some, somewhere. So I actually got on a plane, flew to London. On the way to London, I, I Googled top Caribbean chefs in the UK. I landed, I interviewed three of them. Two of them thought I was this crazy Caribbean guy from Singapore and didn't want to engage. Um, but one particular person, um, Hassan, who then worked very closely with us, then decided to come on board. And then he spent a year with us working on developing the menus and everything else. So that's the, that's the whole kind of story. So you s took a lease on a restaurant mm. without a chef. Mm. You had no experience. Your background was in IT. Was that software or mainly, hardware? Yeah, mainly software. So yeah. basically software, yeah. So you had none of the skills. Yeah, I think I, I didn't have, I, I think it's a very interesting question. So I didn't have many, maybe many of the skills necessary. But one thing that I, I learned and I feel is I had a strong passion and belief in what I wanted to do. And I was very, very passionate about my culture, uh, the Caribbean culture. Um, I was very passionate about being in Singapore because Singapore is my new home. And I was very passionate about trying to combine those two things together. So how long has the restaurant been open? Now we've been open, um, this is, we're just entering into, we've been open officially for four and a half years. From what I know, mm. most restaurants fail in their first year. Sure. So you're doing a good job. Yeah, we're trying. I mean, I, if I'm honest, it's, it's been a very, a very painful experience. And this is why I always tell entrepreneurs, 
I believe very strongly, you have to do something that you're passionate about because it's, it's there are very, very dark moments, it's a very lonely place to be. It's always been a constant struggle. Um, you know, Singapore is one of the toughest places to have a restaurant globally. I haven't made a, a tremendous amount of money or anything like that, but I think we have been successful in, in several ways. One, you know, a lot of people told me not to do it because they said Caribbean food in Singapore, it won't work. The honest truth is now, most Fridays and Saturdays we're fully booked. 70% of the people that come to the restaurant are actually um, local Singaporeans. So, you know, we've managed to translate the culture through food into the Singaporean environment. So I'm very pleased about that. The other thing that I'm really pleased about is that, albeit we've had um, Caribbean chefs come and go and help us to support us, effectively, we now have a, a kitchen which is staffed by um, Singaporeans actually making authentic Caribbean food. So this cultural translation for me was very, very important. Often people ask me the question, they'll say, you know, do you have to import things or where do you get different things from and so on? And I often say, you know, everything that we get is all locally sourced between Singapore and Malaysia. So we brought a cuisine and a culture <clears throat> from halfway around the world, translated it into, into the Asian context and managed to localize it. And I feel very, very proud about that as a key measure of my success. If you're thinking of telling me you're going to open a West Indian restaurant mm. in Singapore, mm. I would have said yes, because when I look around and I mm. see the foods mm. that are here locally, sure? they're very similar to what is found in the yeah. West Indies. Yeah. Like in one of the local parks, mm. there's mangoes sure. growing. Sure. If you tell a West Indian mm. mango, yeah. many will feel that mango yes. is a West Indian yes. fruit. Yes. Yes. And there are other fruits sure. um, like that. Mm. I think... Um, you, you made the right decision. Yeah. You didn't listen to the naysayers. Sure. And you've gone ahead and four mm. years later, you're proving yeah. but I mean, people it, it, that you can do it. Absolutely. I mean, it has been a struggle. And I think one of the key things as well has been that the restaurant market in Singapore is very competitive. So yeah. what we've had to do, I often tell people, if you come and eat at Limehouse, you won't necessarily find this kind of food in, say, in London, because the way we plate, it, plate the food, how we position it, is at a higher level because we're in that kind of market. I would say that we've created a kind of a Caribbean semi-fine dining concept. And, and that's very much at the level that, that we're operating at. Yeah. But a similar thing has happened in London with Indian restaurants where Precisely. they've had to move up market. Precisely. Or they have moved up market. Precisely, yeah. so that's that, exactly. So that's a, that's a kind of a good, um, a good kind of typical scenario where we've, we've almost had to do that ourselves as well from the, from the Caribbean, um, Caribbean perspective. So do you think you'll be able to take the concept back to London? Well, interestingly, I have already, but in a different way. I, I've actually created something. We recently opened in London back in October. So, uh, and again, th there's an interesting story behind that, if, if I might share. So I had a secondary concept I had in Telokaya Street, and it the idea was a kind of a Caribbean lunchtime deli concept, more of a kind of a Caribbean grab-and-go. For a number of reasons, it, it didn't work. I lost a lot of my money because it was basically, it's all self-funded, it's all my passion. So I sold my home in the UK to do all of this stuff. But one of the key things that came out of that was three days before I was supposed to close, a good friend of mine passed by. He said, Chris, how's it going? I said, oh, no, it's, not, it's not going very well at all. He said to me, come to dinner, I'd like you to meet somebody. So I went to dinner, I met a chap called Jonathan, who is a Ghanaian chap who was living in Singapore as a fund manager. 
we got chatting. His passion was supporting black businesses. So he'd actually supported a Ghanaian concept near Liverpool Street, and we were chatting about that. Anyway, long and short of it was, um, he came to the Lime Deli concept that we had a day before we closed. I remember exactly what he had. He had jerk chicken salad. I didn't hear anything from him for eight months. I went through a very painful process of closing it down and so on. And then eight months later, his secretary called me up, and the long and short of it was, basically, that he said to me, Chris, I know it didn't work in Singapore, that particular concept, but I think it's a fantastic concept. And I want to back you to open it in London. So as a result of that, um, I was very fortunate and and um, he actually has put in over a million pounds uh, of investment into helping us open our new concept in London, which is called Bago. What's it called? Called Bago, B-A-Y-G-O. Oh, Bago, yeah. yeah Bago. I, how it came about was actually our bar on the second floor is called um, Bago, but it's B-A-G-O, which is short for Tobago, which is yeah. where I grew up. However, when we went to London and we started doing some sampling, you know, people were saying Bago. So we decided to put a Y in. Being Raising being is that it's synonymous, Bay is synonymous with the Caribbean. Most places have a Bay and Go is that whole kind of fast casual concept. So we've got created something which is basically what we call a Caribbean version of a Leon or an Itsu. And we opened in... Um, in October in Monument. So the idea again, this very similar parallels in the sense of creating something aspirational. Normally, you know, one to have a Caribbean concept in the city is very, very hard because people don't want to give you the opportunities. They won't entrust you with the real estate to be able to do it. Secondly, being able to have the funding to do it is always difficult. So there's always an accessibility issue. So very proud that we managed to open up and now we've been running that um, for about the last six months. And the idea is that um, the plan is to kind of hopefully scale that as a business. Again, what we're trying to do with that is learning some of the lessons that we did with Singapore. So the whole idea is to kind of, with Bago, is to redefine the, the sense of what Caribbean is, right? Because we wanted to make Caribbean food accessible. Uh, we want to make it fast because typically if you're going to normally into a Caribbean place, you have to wait for ages. You have to want to make it accessible. So we put it in the heart of the city so it is clear. And, you know, we wanted to do something that was very professional. So I was fortunate to be able to use a really strong design team. We used the same designers that designed all the Leon concepts and so on. We totally engineered it so that you can walk in and within three minutes you walk out with a meal. And that's across the board. So it's very, very revolutionary what we've done with that concept as well. Is that something you learned here in Singapore? Yes, I think I did because we were forced to innovate here. So I, I learned about being very open. And the irony is that the chef who's worked with us on the London bagel concept is the same chap, Hassan, who worked with me here. So I always tell people that it's a new concept. Bagel's a new concept for London, but was actually born in Singapore because we were in an innovative space where we had to look at fusion, where we had to take a different perspective on the whole idea of Caribbean food and what it was and what it represented. When you came out here, were you single or? No, I was actually married. I had my, my I had, we were married, we were, I have a wife, we were married and uh, had an 18 month old daughter as well when we came out at this time. And how does that go with your family? Uh, well, my, my family very supportive. Yeah. <laughs> they come and eat here at least once a week, kids come, so that's important. Um, I'm very fortunate to have a very supportive wife. She understands my passion and understands what I'm trying to do. Um, we got married in the Caribbean. We spent a lot of time in the Caribbean as well because um, we had a home there. So she understands the value of what I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to do here. And, and the kids, also the kids enjoy coming here too. 
because being um, an entrepreneur, mm. a single entrepreneur is uh, tough enough mm. because, but at the end of the day, you're making your decisions. But sure. when you have a family, it's affecting other people. Sure. So how do you deal with that? As yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point. That was one of the things where I remember meeting several people and one, I remember going to a dinner party once and chatting with a guy and he was like, you know, Chris, do you want to put your family through this? One, it's, it's hard enough doing your own business. Secondly, what about your family? Um, but what's driven me on is I come at from a different point of view. I, I, feel I'm what I, I feel I'm part of what I call a new generation of Caribbean people. I think this, the standard profile in the Caribbean is, you know, it's all about the academics, do well, get a good job and so on. And, and I feel personally that, you know, why not? Why can't we have Caribbean businesses? You know, and, I, and rather than just sit around a table and say we should have more Caribbean businesses, I felt very passionate about doing that. So it's been a massive risk for me, but I felt it was very important to do it just to be able to kind of stretch the envelope. Also for me, in my, terms of my background, I grew up with my dad always having his own business. So for example, I grew up in Tobago. My dad was a fashion designer. He actually had a successful fashion career, then moved back to Tobago to set up a design studio where his idea was to, to kind of leverage a lot of local talent and create locally branded high quality products. So I've always grown up in a business context and a business environment. Uh, any, other, any other members of your family with any artistic? Talent? Yeah, so I come from a, a, an artistic family. I, I tell people actually I'm the only person in my family apart from my, my mom who hasn't been to Central St. Martin. So my, my dad's a fashion designer, um, my, my sister was a set designer, my brother's an artist. So I've always been kind of trying to find my own kind of artistic positioning, if you will. And have, it, have any of your family helped you out? Yes, they have. So like, um, especially early on, they used to come a lot to Singapore. So there's a mural out the back that my, my brother painted. And my dad has also been instrumental in, in doing several works. And they're also some art pieces from my brother and my sister hanging around the place. So I noticed some of the artwork here. When I was mm. having a walk around, I looked and mm. I've seen some work that looks familiar. They, mm. they look like, um, I would say, West Indians that arrived. Sure, yeah? exactly, exactly. Yeah, is, mm. that, is that, was that the inspiration? Yeah, I mean, I think it was that sense of it. I mean, I, I even for our London concept, I, I, I really believe in this idea that as Caribbean people, we need to change. And it's, it was interesting meeting you and you talking about your experience in, in China. I tell people, you know, I am part of that new generation Caribbean. I, I am clearly Caribbean, but Singapore is my home. I have three kids that look clearly Caribbean, but they speak fluent Mandarin. You know, this idea that what we know or what we see as a notion of being from the diaspora is constantly changing. So the, one of the things that I'm excited about is being part of, a, of the forefront of changing those, those perceptions, you know, and, and, and that's exciting. So what would you say is the hardest thing that you had to do throughout your career? I think one of the hardest things that I had to do was when we, uh, I had to close my secondary concept to Delhi. Because when you put a lot of your own time, effort, and money and resources into something, it's very hard to resolve in your own mind if something's not working. And I remember going to a lot of entrepreneurial workshops, just as an aside, um, I've also been an active angel investor. I've dealt with a lot of startups here in Singapore, and I used to do a lot of mentoring and so on. And in doing that, 
people always talk about embracing failure and so on, and it's important to, to have failure as part of the culture. And I was always projecting that and understanding that. But when you run your own business and you, you have to deal with serious failure yourself, that's very, very hard. And I think one of the key things for me was with, 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 with dealing with failure, especially with our secondary concept here in Singapore, was just going to a, a point where you, your beliefs are challenged. You sit down and you wonder, you know, why did I do this? Is it going to work? And one of the things I kept on holding on to was this must have happened for a reason. I didn't put myself through all of this for nothing. And mercifully, I look at the concept I have now in London and I can look back on those difficult times and think, ah, you know, the thing that I was holding on to the most was realized, you know. So when people see my London concept and they say, oh, this is great, Chris, you know, um, you were very lucky to find an investor, you were very lucky to do I say it's not luck at all. It's been a very painful road. So I've learned the hardest thing for me has been to learn how to embrace failure and, and, and really try to stay on top of it. Because if you're not careful, I think it can, it can immerse you and you need to be positive. And you always need to have a positive outlook. And that's been the most challenging thing for me, if that makes sense. At what point did you realize you had to close it? I mean, I think, I think um, not only from a financial um, performance standpoint, but I think on a personal level, you, 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 again, that's another important thing is realizing your own capacity as an individual, how much stress and pressure you can cope with. Yeah. And it's, it's a very brave person to say, you know, actually, you know, this is... This is a bit too much. Yeah, because it, to me, it would seem you could get caught in the trap another week, another week, mm. another month, and just keep going until sure, sure, sure. you put everything you've got. Sure. So you have to. Yeah, exactly. How do you, how do you know what that point is when? Well, you I think to, you don't know. It's trial and error, and this is mm. why, if you listen or you look at successful uh, uh, entrepreneurs, they will talk about this idea of of having a culture of failure because it's a learned experience. It's an iteration now, having had at least a couple of serious failures, I'm now a lot more cognizant than I would have been, say, three or four years ago. So, so I guess that is the whole idea around doing it, is that it's, it's, it's very, it is very much something that you learn. No one can teach you that. And this is what I mean about entrepreneurship, no matter what anyone says, it's, you know, I, that's why I respect tremendously anyone that's an entrepreneur because it's, it's hard and it can be a very lonely place at times because you're really, no matter how much support or um, mentorship or whatever you have, you're still the guy in the hot seat. You're still making those decisions. Okay, let's get on a lighter note now. No, so. okay. <laughs> no I, I think, I'm happy to talk because I, I think yeah. it is, the reason I mention it is because I think personally, um, and I've been starting to do some stuff with a few Caribbean business groups in the UK, and I think that's a big reason why there aren't enough um, Caribbean entrepreneurs. It's because we, as people, we, we don't, there's always the lighter side, you know? Yeah. And I think it is important to, to be able to, and that's why I'm very comfortable with talking about failure. When you look at the whole Silicon Valley thing, or anything, the people who, for whom failure is part of the course, those are the people who, who excel. You know, so I think it's about hopefully having more black entrepreneurs that will happily talk about failure and people feel like, you know, well, failure is, isn't so bad. You know, it, it, you know, a lot of people say, oh my God, Chris, how did you manage? I say, well, you know, actually, if you look at it, you know, that, that's part of the course and these, these things will happen. So I think that's why I say, I think it's important that 
that, that, that one discusses failure, and I'm happy to do so. So do you think we in the um, Caribbean diaspora, we, are, we play it safe? Do you think? I, think, I think it is about, it's about exposure. Yeah. I've been lucky because I, one, I've, I've, I probably would not have done what I've done doing now if I was still in London. Yeah. Because I've translated myself, and you're probably aware of that being in China, because I've translated myself into a different space, I've been exposed to slightly different things. I've had a slightly different mindset. This is where the new generation Caribbean thing comes in. So I think, it's, one, it's about opportunity, and two, it's about access. It's about access to expertise, mentorship or whatever, access to capital, and these are the things that, uh, and the reason I mentioned mentorship is because like, for example, I have a very strong mentor now, and I've been very lucky. So I'm not just doing the, the I'm not doing my concepts uh, anymore in that way. I've, I've got someone who's been on a journey with me who has the relevant expertise. So, you know, I, I, can, I can relate to them and, they, and likewise about different things. So your mentor's here in Singapore? He's actually based in London, um, but uh, he's an interesting chap. So he, um, he was the MD of Pizza Express, and he also took... Itsu, the concept Itsu from one to 200 stores. So for our bagel concept, he's the chap who's really helping to kind of guide me on the way in terms of my progression, which is also very important. So I think it's a combination of factors that makes it much harder for, for there not to be enough um, entrepreneurs from the diaspora, I'd say. You also mentor yourself. So who and where do you mentor? So I mentor a range of different things. I have a couple of businesses in the UK that I mentor. And also, equally, there are a couple of startups here in Singapore, some in the tech scene, that I'm also mentoring to. Yeah. Do you think it's important for you to mentor back in London? I think it's hugely important. So I'm, I'm actually actively involved, as I mentioned, I'm actively, actively involved in mentoring a number of entrepreneurs that I've met in setting up the, the UK concept and um, trying to um, work with them on, on the, some of their business ideas. So I think it's very, very important. Yeah. In my last question, I said back home in London. Where do you consider home? Well, it's interesting now. Um, I, I, see, I see I live in two places because at the minute I'm spending, last year I was back in London about 10 times in the year. So I feel, um, I feel Singapore is my home. And equally, I'll also say that I feel that um, you know, London is still very much home for me as well. So between the two. So for fun, what do you do? Well, I try to do a bit of sport if I can. Um, so I, I play a bit of football. I do some boxing just to kind of relax. So I find that exercise is something that's a nice kind of outlet for me. So you say you do boxing? Yeah, just just um, just sort of uh, have a train and I go to a boxing club just to kind of release a little bit. Yeah. And do you have enough time for that? I make the time. You and make I think it. it's very important. So I have a bit of a regime where, where I try to actively do that, which is important. I think it's important to have to try and strike that balance as well. Okay, thanks very much, Chris. Okay, my pleasure. And um, if anyone wants to get in touch, can you just give us your details? Yeah, so a so, um, couple of things. So Limehouse, we are based in, um, in uh, the Chinatown area. It's um, number two Jack Tran Road. Um, the website is uh, limehouse, www.limehouse.asia. And if anyone wants to contact me personally, which I'd be happy to, to hear from anyone, my email is chris at limehouse.asia that's chris at limehouse.asia and I'll be putting those contact details on the yeah. website fantastic and lovely thanks for um, taking the time to, to meet with me and I'm, I'm happy to share my experience yeah thank you very much my pleasure thanks. Thanks. great
Thanks, Chris, for giving us, and especially me, some great insights. The positive purposefulness you demonstrate will inspire others to take up opportunities and overcome challenges as they present themselves. We wish you all the best. And I encourage all of you out there, if you get the chance to visit Singapore, to seek out the Limehouse. And don't forget Bago at 27 East Cheap, in the heart of the City of London. This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action.